have you seen me dice bag? <laughs> the Grognard Files. Hello, my name is Dirk the Dice, and this is the Grognard Files podcast. Talking bobbins about tabletop RPGs from back in the day and today. I'm coming live from my den under the stairs in Dirk Towers in the very blustery northwest of England. Once again, I'm surrounded by my stuff, including my grognard files. On my left is the ridiculous homemade shrine to the actor Caroline Munro. I'll, uh, I'll just give it a tap. Ah, yes, the eternal champion has appeared in an annual appearance as herself in Don't Open Till Christmas. And it's my annual warning to avoid it because it's rubbish. In this episode, I'm joined by our resident rules lawyer, Judge Blythe, and we look over some of our gaming highlights of 2018 and award the third annual Groggy Awards. Also featured is a sample of actual play from The Smart Party. Now, I did promise that we'd be doing the first edition of uh, The Enemy Within, uh, but it became a corrupted file. In fact, this is the third attempt at trying to record one of our Warhammer games. Chaos has infected the recordings. Fortunately, uh, this final one has been blessed by Tzinich. I'll be back at the end with some podcast recommendations. But without further ado, ramblers, let's get rambling. Welcome to the room of role-playing rambling. We've just returned from a winterful lunch. And we're Blythe. Hello, Blythe. Hello, Doug. Uh, now, you've had the foresight, Blythe, to wear your elasticated waist and your, of course. your slacks. Of course. Whereas I'm going to have to release the restraining bolts on this girdle. <laughs> yes. Now, too many mince pies. It's customary, isn't it, that we set New Year's resolutions. And one mm. of my New Year's resolutions this year is to get rid of this timber that I put on. I'm going to have to go on a bricks mm. and riot to get rid of this timber because I have put weight on. Yeah, well, we set New Year's resolutions and never follow them yeah, through, well. so you'll just be a bit bigger next year. Yeah. Be- beer and uh, beef flavoured Monster Munch give them a shake. Is that it? Yeah. Beef flavoured? You surprised me there. I'd have, said, I'd have said more pickled onion. No. Pickled, not, I, I, I find them a bit tart. Do you? Yeah. I, like, I prefer the pickled onion. Ah, well, Good to go. know that friendship would, would last through a mixed bag of Monster Munch because you'd have the beef, I'd have the pickled onion. We know The only dispute would be the chilli ones, Yeah. the spicy ones. Yeah. I don't mind them. I like them. But what do you make of these foot-long... Have you seen them? Foot-long pig, pigs in blanket. Have you been? Have you tried? Long pig in a blanket. Yeah. Have you seen them? No, older. No. No. Yeah. Uh, but the thing with the pigs in blanket, I quite like a pig in a blanket. For, yeah. You know, it's a sausage in wrapped in bacon. For anyone who doesn't know. Yeah. But people from other countries listen yeah. to this. Think what these British people are insane. <laughs> they eat pigs in blankets at Christmas. I mean, if if nothing else, the pigs a bit too much. And a blanket would be chewy. So, <laughs> well, they are a bit like that. Well, they are a bit like that. But a pig in a blanket is a sausage wrapped in bacon, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But all these start doing these like foot long ones. Right. It's good. It's good that you've dropped that in. Why? Because 
generally speaking, people learn nothing about gaming from this podcast, but they will they will now be able to go to Aldi and buy a foot long. Picking a blanket. A foot long. Foot long. You, you can't have too much of a good thing. That's the theme of this discussion properly. <laughs> Pretty sure. Yeah. That's time of year where we do the groggies. Yes. So we're, yes. We're, Awards for the year. Mm. We reflect on what we've done over the year and we reward the groggy awards. Yes. Right, okay. Before that, though, I brought a cracker over. Okay. Pull a cracker. Yeah. You ready? Okay. Yeah. Oh, there you go. It didn't go bang. It didn't, yeah. Bit of formality as well. What's in it? <laughs> it's one of those fish. Is it? One of those fish you put on your palm. It tells you. Tells you something. I never quite understand them. They tell you about yourself, but don't you know already? <laughs> you know they mean? always curl up. I've, never met, curl, anybody, I've never met anybody who hasn't put one of those yeah. on their hands and it curled up. Oh, you know what I mean? It means yeah. you're big hearted or something. Or... You, you hear that? I said, well, I know. If it's true, I know. If it's true, if, it, if, it, if the fish reads correctly, I know what I am. So yeah. I don't need, don't need no. the fish. And if it doesn't read correctly, it's a waste of time, isn't it? <laughs> What's the point of them? Yeah. You're better off with a plastic moustache. <laughs> well, that hurts all, doesn't it? You do, but at least it's in disguise. <laughs> and what's the fish? The fish just reaffirms who you already are. The moustache yeah. allows you to be someone else. And I don't think it's admissible in court either, is it? Because it only tell... It's what, a... the moustache or the fish? <laughs> Neither. Neither. <laughs> No, I don't think I don't use them in colour. Here, put this on your hand. Tell you whether you're a liar or not. Hang on, there's a joke as well. Are you ready for this? A joke. Come on. Okay. What do you call Legolas from Lord of the Rings? Legolas. Yeah, I, know, yeah. I know where he's from. God, yeah. I'm, not that, but I'm not that bad. I know I don't <laughs> like talking. I know who Legolas is. Good God. What do, you, what do you call Legolas in a harness running away from a shoggoth? Elf and safety gone mad. Hey. <laughs> Very good, very good. Health and safety, go mad. There you go. You you recently ran a festive adventure, didn't you? I did, for Tunnel and Trolls, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had snowball fights. Snowball fights at the Krampus, didn't it? Krampus. The dark side of Christmas. We'll come back to TNT, because us going back to that old school game, um, reflect some of our thinking and what we've been doing. It does, yeah, 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 this year. So at this point, I always bring out the statistics. How many hours do you think we've played this year? Um, I always ask this question because I'm not, I'm not questioning your ability with statistics yeah, I, I or mathematics, <laughs> although they are questionable. <laughs> when you say how many hours, do you mean... Does one hour count as two? As in, we've both played an hour, that counts as two hours. Right. Have you, so the, have, you, have you worked it out? I've explained this to you before. I know. So the, I rules never, I, the rules as written. I know you've, written. you've explained it, but I don't think you've explained it adequately. <laughs> I will allow you. In, uh, it's becoming an annual tradition where you try and explain how you work it out. So the way I work it out is, if we're playing together, yeah. that counts as one hour. Right. Okay. Yeah. If we're playing separately apart... Yes, that counts as, as separate hours. As separate hours, yeah. Right. So I amalgamate them together. Um, it was 190 hours last year. And 190. That was, that was record-breaking. Okay. I would say this year I will go for 230. 230 is spot on. Is it? Yeah, it's spot on, yeah. Well oh, done. right. Yeah, very yeah, good. You have to do it. So <laughs> systems last year, <laughs> systems last year we did uh, 20 different systems. 
Mm. Amazing thing we did this year. 25. 23. 23 oh, right. this okay. year. Mm. What I found going through and uh, looking at this is that Whereas last year we did a lot of one-shots, so we'd play a game once and never again. Mm. This time we've played... Stuck with it. For Stuck a with it for yeah, a bit. Yeah, that's true, actually. I can, yeah, thinking back, that's true. We've, we've played a game, yeah, not, not once, but two or three times, haven't we? Yeah. Yes, that's true. Yeah. We probably play a game a week now, don't we? Yeah. And we used to, well, that was one of our objectives when we got back into the hobby. We used to think, imagine if we played a game a week. Yeah, sometimes two games a week. Oh, yeah, sometimes it's two, yeah. We've had we've had weeks. I think we've had weeks where I've had four, five games in a week. Yeah, is that right? I yeah, think. I yeah, think so. Yeah, yeah. Almost like we've got a problem, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I know that. I always promise that this is going to be more spectacular each year. As each year goes by, yeah, I've got this idea that one day we'll have it'll be on television, and we'll have. Somebody we'll have, to, we'll have to have a real golden envelope. Real golden, real, real, real golden, golden. Not, not uh, radio golden envelope. We'll get real, somebody to host to, it. We like, yeah, uh, Billy Crystal or something. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal. <laughs> you know, like the so you, yeah. Well, I'm not we'll get Billy Crystal. Keep it zirconium. Billy. Billy, <laughs> Billy, <laughs> Billy anyway, zirconium. But. It'll be one day. It'll be really lavish. This, but for now, for now, it'll be usual just rubbish. the spurious. Yeah. Okay. So I've got these spurious envelopes in front of me. Okay. And uh, first up on the spurious envelope is the Messianic Megalomaniac Award for moments in games mastery. So that's named look. after you. <laughs> I, I think last year you won it. I think you did. Won I? It. Yeah. yeah. It's not my perpetual yeah. trophy. <laughs> The only, the only kind of person who would do that is a messianic megalomaniac. Yeah. Would, the only person who would say it's my trophy in perpetuity. <laughs> so I set out uh, this year having uh, the pledge, because you remember last year I suffered from a bit of the GMitis. You did, yeah. You where did. doubts over yeah. my own ability yeah. to yeah, yeah. be a GM. And one of the reasons I accounted for it is that I did a lot of one-shots. And sometimes one shots can be a bit hit and miss, particularly yeah. if you don't know the system. Yeah. So when I went into and this year, 2018, I went with the express idea that I was going to do longer games and uh, try a campaign start. So I started the Pub Cthulhu campaign, thoroughly enjoying that. That is still a two-hour session that we need to pack a lot in yeah. and keep it yeah. regularly, regularly going. In conventions, so I went to Convergence and we did a... Uh, eight hour session of Golden Heroes yeah. and that was great because we could create the yeah that was good that create the characters yeah. at the table yeah it's one of the highlights really of, of this year yeah it was good fun that yeah you'd have thought and, it and you never thought you'd enjoy a superhero game would you well no uh, not really I mean I, I don't mind superhero stuff you know but it, it's not something I'm naturally drawn to for a for a role playing game but it was a lot. It was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Yeah. Part, I think partly because I think we discussed this on the podcast. It, the character creation side of it that you created your character as part of the game and came up with ideas about your character, and that's always a big part of a superhero, isn't it? Where, yes. With their origins and where they come from and why they are a superhero. And we were made rather than being given pregens, we made we did that as part of the session. Yeah. And I think that made a big big difference to everyone around the table. One of the benefits of playing it in a long session was that 
it was episodic, but it mm. was reaching towards the big boss fight. Yes. Which all these uh, uh, superhero superhero things theory, are, yeah. are yeah, doing. Yeah. So it was that one. And then I also ran two back-to-back sessions with the same characters and same players of RuneQuest Glantha at uh, the Elba. Mm-hmm. But my highlight of being a GM this year has been playing Blades in the Dark for 12 hours. Yeah. You, you weren't playing. I that. didn't. No, I didn't. And yeah. part of the reason I've picked it up for nominations, I wasn't you weren't there, and you I can't wasn't there. verify whether I can't verify is it any good or not. <laughs> when we when we did the review last year, we talked about Blades in the Dark. Really, we were talking about it in theory because we'd only played it for about four hours, haven't we? Four, four. Yeah, hours. we played a couple of sessions. Yeah. A couple of sessions, and I don't believe you get a sense of, of what no. it's like. No. Because what you can't do, because what Blaze depends on is this rhythm of uh, play that you have, you know, your downtime. Uh, yeah, it's very, yeah, it's very campaign orientated, isn't it? The whole gist of it is you play it over a period of time and build up a gang and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. It doesn't, it doesn't really lend itself to a one-shot. And I know you did a one-shot, but it was a 12-hour one-shot, so yeah. it had a sense of things developing over time. So yeah, and it you know it has a soap opery mm. uh, um, yeah. appeal. It's a bit like Zola, you know that kind yeah, of yeah yeah. But he's like developing networks and contacts, NPCs, and th- those kind of contacts and NPCs work best when they're recurring characters. Yes, and, you know whether they're on your side or not, and it, it does. It, it's heavily it heavily leans to all that kind of thing, doesn't it? And do you know why? I liked it so much. It was because because I wasn't there. Because you weren't there. Yeah. That was one. Okay. That, that, yeah. That, that yeah. Way for Fair it. enough. And the other thing was was that it was probably the first time since uh, coming back into play that I felt that that special sensation we used to get about being absorbed into mm. something that was happening. Yeah. And just pulling stories out of thin air. Yeah. They're coming out of yeah. the fundament. You know, the, as I was. As, as, as they were getting into situations, I was having to think on my feet, and together we came up with good reasons. And it was really thrilling. And it was pointed out afterwards we didn't have any fights in it. <laughs> yeah, not one fight. You know, one fight because they had yeah. a team of shadows, so they were more like espionage and spies. So they slipped undercover and did the scores by nobody noticing that they'd done them. Yeah, and. Um, that, that it, 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 honestly, I, at the end of it, I felt, I felt I'd had an experience. Mm. Well, I think that's interesting you say that because when, when we played back in the day, towards the the end of our younger role playing careers, we got to that situation, didn't we? We played a lot, very very regularly, for long periods, and never didn't roll many dice. Didn't roll many dice. No. It wasn't, you know. I can remember playing RuneQuest and going from session to session to session without actually having a fight with anybody. Yeah, because it was all kind of story based. Yeah, and th- we did roll dice with um, with Blades in the Dark, mm. but it had that the characters were shaping what was important, what wasn't important. Yeah, were, yeah. Uh, you know what what we're going to do next, yeah. and it did have. Uh, we managed to somehow weave a story that I came to a conclusion and all the ends tied up but it was just through it, it just came from nowhere you know mm. it was just 
and you know there's something very satisfying about uh, about doing that but yeah that was uh, Blades in the Dark that's my nomination for my GM experience your GM year. experience as a GM as a GM I suppose I, I, I got to mention we ended we finished Storm King's Thunder didn't we this year yeah which a triumph well that was you know that was a good a good games mastering experience but I suppose much a lot of that experience was actually last year rather than uh, this year just gone um, but that's probably the biggest, longest campaign I've ever run. Yeah, you know, in in one kind of in a sort of continuous campaign. My highlight, and this might sound a bit strange, was running Tunnels and Trolls for you and Eddie. And it was only it was only the top back end of this year, because there was a sort of nice simplicity to it where. I don't know. We, we it just got got back to basics a little bit. Yeah, grounded us a bit. You know, it's almost like sometimes everyone's looking for uh, new concepts, new ways of playing, and sometimes going into a dungeon on some crazy mission is okay. Yeah, very good. Yeah, kind of strangely liberating because I feel I feel like I've had a year. And don't get me wrong, I've I've enjoyed games mastering this year. Enjoyed games mastering. Um, I've gained mastered Numenera, so I've done a lot of that, and I've enjoyed that. Uh, that's gone really well. That was good. But Tunnels and Trolls was was great because it it felt strangely liberating because all the other games I'd run had an element of the kind of a challenge. I mean, Numenera, I've realised this year, because I've run a lot more Numenera than in previous years, is, is hard work sometimes for the games master. It's hard work because you've got to explain everything. Everything's weird, everything's unusual. And by the end of it, you feel a bit exhausted. Or yes. I do at times, yeah. you know, where you think, oh, God, this monster, they've never met this monster, but I've got to explain it. This strange building they're in, what's it made of? What does it look like? You know, you've, it's, it's, there's a lot of heavy lifting for a games master. And I hadn't quite been aware of that in previous years. But this year, running a lot more Numenera, because I've run it for our Wednesday night group as well. Yeah. And that's been over a continued period. I've realised it's it's hard work. So it was good to just, in a dungeon, fighting skeletons and monsters, actually, weirdly felt, oh, actually, this is okay. It must, it's the equivalent to these, you know, like these people who drive vintage cars. And you always you look at people drive vintage cars. You think, well, why are you driving that car? It must be hard work. It must be hard work to maintain it and hard work to drive it. Yeah. But there's there's a certain joy that they get from driving something that doesn't have power steering, that yeah. does have a, a weird kind of clutch mechanism, and does you know there's a certain joy in it where they feel sort of perhaps more in touch with the machine. And tunnels and trials felt like that. It felt like suddenly more in touch with. You know what we got into role playing for, yes. Which sometimes is going into a dungeon and fighting stuff and avoiding traps. Yeah, you know. But I, I think as well that you feel more comfortable in that um, setting, and that's mm. where your skills as a games master come into yes. uh, yeah. come to the fore, and you're able to create interesting uh, situations, interesting twists and turns. Within that, within that context, I think I think you're right. We've played a lot of Numenera, haven't we? And, um, we have been drawn towards the novelty over the last eighteen months. Yes, and part of it is trying to look at what we've missed. 
Yes. You know, this fear yeah. that somehow in between uh, 1988 when we finished and uh, 30 years later mm. that we've missed a whole load of stuff that we really need to catch yeah. up on. And maybe, you know, there is some comfort in just going back to the stuff that we used to enjoy. Yeah, and I think what you realise, there's no necessary connection between an innovative setting and an innovative game. You can actually have quite a boring game in an innovative setting and you can have a really innovative, imaginative game in a conventional setting. I mean, I've enjoyed playing uh, New Minerva, but trying to describe um, yeah. a, a monster that's actually flailing um, yeah. vacuum cleaner with razor blades <laughs> attached to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spurting out vacuum packed geese at the back. It can be hard work, and it can get in the way of. It can get in the way of the game a little bit. So it's like to compare it to our games of Star Trek. The games of Star Trek RPG is good, even if you're not into Star Trek, because it's familiar. Yes, familiar science fiction setting. So you can sort of dispense to some extent with describing everything in intricate detail. As a player, playing campaign mode in uh, Numenera, you do get a bit of intrigue fatigue. Intrigue fatigue, yes. Yeah, everything's yeah. a mystery. Because everything is yeah. strange and unusual. Yeah. Therefore, you just go... But what, bit, what strange and unusual bits are significant? Yeah. And when you're running Numenera, that, that's the problem of running it over a period of time, is pointing people. With a one-shot, it's, it's easier to do. But over a period of time, it's pointing people players in the right direction and yeah. nudging them in the right way is quite can be quite difficult. And I think it's revealed itself when we've been playing with the Wednesday night group over um, a few weeks, hasn't it? Because they're new to Numenera mm. and they're seeing they're being attacked by colours and shapes on the wall. Yeah. And they're saying, what could it mean? Who could they be working for? <laughs> and I'm saying, yeah, 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 it's nothing. Just no, they don't worry about that. It's just don't... a good monster. <laughs> Monster, it mean ignore anything. it, go with But then on the other hand, this does mean something. Yeah. So do pay attention to that. And as a games master, that's very difficult to. Whereas, say, in a conventional fantasy setting, you can have goblin bandits and you can have this and that and the other. And everyone just goes, yeah, 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 right, goblin bandits. It's not significant, they're just bandits. And then you can drop in something that does seem odd and people go, ah, this is odd. Now, now you've got our attention. Whereas it can be quite difficult in Numenera, I think. Yeah. To do. And I think that's. Tr- we singled out Numenera because we, we played it, but I think that can be true in a lot of these high-concept settings, can't yes, it? Yes, yeah. If you set it in a very strange setting, you've got the problem of describing strangeness all the time and the problem of when is strangeness just run-of-the-mill strangeness and when is it significant strangeness? Let me have a look in this previous envelope. I'm going to put you out in misery. Okay. Because, frankly, your nomination was rubbish. You're well, going to have to up your game in the future. That, I know, yeah. All right, okay. the... <laughs> <laughs> I fulfilled a uh, New Year's resolution. Therefore, I get the Megalomaniac Award for another year. <laughs> this is... This is... <laughs> this, this is why Billy Crystal won't do it. <laughs> Because of that kind of thing. He knows, he knows, he knows what's going on. I've warned him. Billy, don't do it. He's a megalomaniac. It's all rigged. Right, OK, we're going to have a bit of a break and then we'll come back and uh, continue these um, Spurious Awards. Previously, our band of resourceful, discreet souls were sent to Middleburg. 
to recover the future son-in-law of Baron von Horgen. Frederick Fricken was enjoying seven days of Volksfest revelry, but we were unable to drag the groom to the wedding due to the intervention of a hideous lobster-handed creature. It's a long story. After the failure of the wedding, von Hagen is desperate to increase his fortunes. Volker von Hagen has made a name for himself in the town of Smutziger. The errant member of the von Hagen household needs to return to the fold, or at least provide a decent stipend to his family. Blythe plays Magdalena, who is from the house of von Hagen, but so far down the family tree that she's almost underground. She's a duelist and easily distracted by the promise of a good fight. Hans Mega, played by Matt Hart from Steamforged Games, is her portly, past-it guard and man-at-arms. He's frequently perplexed at his mistress's actions. Baz is Barold Loftus, investigator, a cautious bloodhound with a nose for the bad guys. And I play his accomplice, Elspeth Voltz, bounty hunter, thief-taker, taciturn, single-minded, with an eye on the prize. So, over to Gaz, our games master. You found, you've been travelling the, on the roads for uh, some days, and it's been reasonably easy going. Obviously, there's a cloud of your past failure that's hanging over you. Uh, you all had ideas that there's going to be a brighter future, which hasn't quite panned out, but you never know. Pull this one off, and uh, things may yet look rosy for you. The sun's sitting uh, fat and gibbous in the sky. It's uh, late autumn, so it's still warm enough, but starting to get a bit of a nip in the air as the sun goes down. You approach uh, Schmutziger, which sits on the Schmutziger Fluss, the, one of the tributaries of the Reich. You can see it's a, a well-walled town, although relatively small, and off in the hinterlands a little bit, so not on the main thoroughfare necessarily, but uh, well-known for its, uh, its fish and fisheries and various other uh, related products to fish, basically. That's his, his big draw. Uh, as you know from uh, the recent adverts you've seen for Von Hogan's fish juice, which is uh, all the rage and excellent when dashed on literature and out sausages. So as you approach the road uh, from the south into uh, Schmutziger itself, you can see that on the outsides of the, the walled town as well, there's, there's little shanty towns that have kind of slung themselves up against the walls of the town as it's does or even does have decent defences, but that means that the capacity of the town is somewhat limited by the amount of space within. So now without, you're getting lots of other um, houses and shacks and stuff that are starting to uh, build themselves against the walls and, and spread out like a, a dirty rhyme around the town itself. And as you're padding your way through there, you see that everybody around seems in pretty bad shape. A Lots of uh, coughing, spluttering. You see signs of flux, maybe a bit of rat fever here and there. Uh, there are indeed big fat black and brown rats you can see snuffing around the place before a small but vicious dog grabs one by the scruff of the neck and shakes it angrily like a rag doll, sending <laughs> the rest scurrying away. And uh, several people come out in pretty bad repair, looking like well-worn clothes, off-mended, and they've got either cups or hands out, begging for money, especially to you, Magdalena. Saying, oh, miss, hello, oh, miss, spare a few coppers. Full and hard times, I have. Got some coppers. You've got to love the art. Got any coppers? I've eaten for three days, and now there's my babe. I'm going to be fending them off with, with me. Get away. Leave the lady alone. Well, 
I'll throw them a few coppers. I will. They throw them through coppers. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You throw a bit of brass into yeah. the dirt. Yeah. And that that immediately clears you a path through to the town as they all scurry after the the shiny bits of coin that are now stuck in the mud, and gives you easy access. Uh, there's a couple of town guards that are waiting, but uh, they don't seem particularly interested in stopping you. They're more interested in keeping the riffraff out of the town. Uh, and as you look like you're reasonably well-to-do between you and that you've got enough for an inn and that sort of stuff, they don't seem bothered about frisking you down or barring your entry. So you can just wander straight in. What, uh, so what information do we have about Faulkner? Faulkner, you've, you know, Faulkner, he's sorry. yeah, he set himself up as a merchant. Uh, in fact, if you make a gossip roll for me, you can see if you found anything else out on the road while you've been asking people. Online. All right. Oh, a seven is almost certainly going to be something good. Uh, I've got a 42 skill in that, so um, four raises, is it? Okay, so being the sort of like gregarious type, he sits with all the coachmen or other people like that or men at times hanging about. You've had a few chats and games of dice and stuff along the way, picked mm. up bits of information. Uh, and from what you can gather from all the different um, tall stories you've been told, trying to sift out the actual grains of truth in it, apparently this town's been ruled by the guilds for some time and there's been a lot of strife. And the guilds have been fighting amongst each other, all trying to make themselves top dog. And it turns out, from what people are saying, that Falker von Horgen has now taken over the Merchants Guild. And uh, once he did that, he managed to consolidate his position somehow now. So there's, although there's five guilds in the town, they've kind of settled down a little bit. And violence is a bit of a, at an all-time low, or certainly random reckless violence that you'd normally see in the streets. Uh, he seems to have ties as well with the Fisheries Guild. And uh, with them and the Coopers Guild, he's kind of tied up all the transportation out of the city as well. So anybody produce anything really needs to go through some of his men to be able to either ship by barge or by road any of their goods. Yeah, Gaz, did I get the impression from what they were saying that his rise was either, uh, was it unusual in any way? Was it particularly speedy or unprecedented? Or uh, So they got the impression it was really efficient when, when he first came into the town. Uh, the idea of a noble becoming a businessman and being able to run things, everybody thought was hilarious. But you can imagine, like, if Magdalena was going to listen and say she was going to set up shop here and she'd be in charge of everything inside of a month. Like, there'd just be, like, tears of laughter rolling down everybody's eyes. Mm-hmm. It's like stupid noble taking over and not knowing what they were doing. Uh, but he seemed to quite quickly and efficiently know the right people to speak to or it's suggested he probably has allies or friends or knows the right people or something. He's got He's definitely got some other force or something with him or he knows how to manipulate them. Would I know him? Yeah, you'll have met him at um, some other family get-together or, or something like that, or maybe several of them, some cousin's birthday or something yeah. like that. Would he, would he seem to be the kind of guy who would make a, a go of it in this kind of business, or does it seem unlikely? Curiously for you, from your experience, I mean, he's always contrary and hence being a black sheep of the family. So whenever he was supposed to be doing something, he'd do the opposite. If it's like, oh, it's somebody's wedding, like whatever you do, don't turn up wearing white or cream because that's not the done thing. The bride and groom were in that. He'd turn up with a big uh, white Ushanka hat from the Northlands <laughs> or something like that, just to kind of like make it really obvious that he was doing the wrong thing. I really like this guy. Yeah. Until eventually, <laughs> it was like you know, amongst the family, it was decided what would be good for him is to like broaden his horizons by going to some far off town, far away, where he couldn't cause any trouble or embarrassment. <laughs> Barold, it seems simple to me that we find the man and drag him out of the city by his beard. Yeah, it seems elementary, doesn't it? Mm. Nothing to it. Let's say, yeah, let's drag him out of his lair. You can give him a... Um, I'll try talking him round. You give him a couple of slaps. Usual modus operandi for our bounty hunting operation. Well, not, not, not that I want to argue with uh, my betters, obviously, but um, 
might I uh, inquire as to as to how concerned any of us might be about his uh, his seeming control of of a couple of guilds? I'm pretty sure he's going to have a few tasty lads um, protecting him. I'm not sure dragging him out by his beard seems like a an immediate opportunity. At least until we've had a little look, surely. Well, it doesn't do any harm to lay the groundwork. You're quite right in that regard. I mean, last time we went rushing into anything, we ended up being attacked by a giant lobster woman with her boobs hanging out. So let's not let that happen again. <laughs> right. Uh, yes. That was just a costume. We know that. Don't we? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been able to wipe the stench off myself ever since. I've met this guy, and it does. it seems improbable and implausible that he's uh, the kind of guy, unless he's changed dramatically. He doesn't seem like the yeah. kind of guy who could run a successful business and, and get the alliance of uh, two other guilds as well. Well, he's obviously got some leverage over them. What we need is leverage over him. These would be the layers of a Bretonian onion. We'll peel one back only to find more corruption underneath. Oh, as soon as he mentions Bretonian, I hawk and spit. Well, shall we get shall we get a tavern in the merchant quarter? That might be the best place to get a tavern for the, for the night. That's not. Yeah. Yes. That's where we're going. Yeah. Would he know your name, Magdalene? It should be going um, under Nom du Guerre. Oh, I, I think I'll I'll it again. <laughs> I don't know. Will it draw him out if I'm here? Maybe if you start pushing business cards around and start like you know joining some um, gentlefolk clubs around here, maybe that would. We could use you as an in, perhaps. So yeah, I I don't think he would see me initially as a threat because, as I say, I'm a bit of a black sheep myself, aren't I? Yeah. All right. So you've made your way through past uh, sort of the fisheries to the west. Obviously, give off a strong smell, and for once, you can't. No, you can. You manage to get rid of the smell of your own lobster-related activities by the overpowering stench of the the barracuda and other stuff that are being processed. <laughs> <clears throat> the Warrens to the east, as well, on your way in, uh, seem riddled. It's like it's proper like Fire of London territory with these multi-tiered houses that are like virtually touching with the thatches at the top and all that kind of stuff and, mm. and windy alleyways. So it's a bit of a relief to get to the, the sort of market square in the middle of the town square where there's the the mayoral rat house that stands proud and aloof from the other buildings and then a big cobbled square which gives you a bit of breathing room and space and people are bustling about still. Uh, there's like a long, thin tavern there which seems... Uh, Seems suitable for you because it's sort of central, and although it's quite a tight squeeze to get to the back, and it's you know not a lot of space, and the bar runs down one side, so you're all kind of like bumping into people. It's several stories high and has plenty of rooms available, so you manage to secure some of them, and you cheek by jowl with a mixture of uh, some off-duty stevedores, some of the probably less wealthy merchants, a couple of the clerks from the rat house. Probably some tradesmen and people like that. Probably not the people who gut fish and people of that sort. So it's not the most salubrious, but equally you've not got the uh, the underclass with you either. You've got like a mid-level tavern, which is within your means and also reasonable as well at the same, same time. Uh-huh. So a lot of people are chatting around. Jocelyn, you get some uh, foaming beer, plates of lips and schnout sausages as well with mountains of mash and uh, a nice bit of Von Hogan's fish juice in a jug to uh, to splatter around and give it a bit of zing, as you like it up here in the north. And it doesn't take long before one of the, the rough-handed stevedores has come barreling over, encouraged by his mates. He's got big, calloused hands, his fingers not unlike sausages themselves in size and dimension. Mm, delicious. <laughs> Slams down a, a, a big, meaty hand on Magdalena's uh, slim but muscular shoulder. Says, oh, all right there, darling. 
Here now. Seen you before. Watch yourself, laddie. That's all right. I'm just speaking to the lady, aren't I? She probably wants a bit of company. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to stand up and point out that I am, uh, I'm not protecting the lady. I'm protecting you from the lady. This causes a great uproar of laughter throughout the uh, the, the bar because people start like, slapping each other on the back and turning around to look with interest. I introduced myself as uh, Magdalena von Horgen. <laughs> You're um, von Horgen, that's right, and I'm the Duke of Kislev. <laughs> the peal of laughter goes around the bar. I'm going to look at him closely just in case he has any Kislevian features. <laughs> he has got a lovely moustache. Oh. I tell him to take his hand off uh, my shoulder if he values his hand. Or his shoulder. <laughs> I'm going to hold up two fingers now, like just keeping count of the number of chances he's got. <laughs> All right. He seems to think he's got two left. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. he, he does remove his hand and says, Well, then, my lovely, why, why don't you come over and have a drink with me and the lads? And uh, uh, you've, you've got plenty of money there, haven't you, if you want the Von Horgans? I'll, um, I'll say to him, Yeah, why, why not? I'll go and join him. But I'll, I'll look him in the eye and warn him and say, Get your hands, your sausage fingers to yourself. All right. It seems he gives himself a wry smirk. But you, you go back and there's, there's, you know, five of them, quite beefy guys, obviously used to like lifting crates and shifting stuff all day. So they're a bit rough and ready. Broken yeah. fingernails and, you know. I'll buy, I'll buy them all a drink. And there's lots of cheers and all this. Oh, so what, what are you doing here then, madam? Are you, uh, what, are, you well, are you taking over now or something? What's, let's, what's suppose, let's suppose I was related to Volker van Hoger. What would you tell me about him? I mean, some some people are complaining about all the taxes for his new watch force that he's put together. But since they've been around, you know, our job's been a lot safer. There's been a lot of less thievery. I can tell you that for nothing. The Burgermeister, he's uh, he's happy with how things are going. So he's just, um, he, I think he's um, he's like one of them people who knows how to talk to people. I don't know what you call them, like a poli- politician or something. Where does he kind of live and spend most of his time? Oh, well, the, the, he's got the grandest house, right? Just around the back of him. If you go around to the square in the merchant's quarter... Hmm. Got a lovely townhouse there. He's making money on Doverfest, you know. Although he does go on a daily basis to the rat house on business and people come and see him now. In fact, more I think about it, people go and see him these days. He doesn't really go out about much at all. So he's not seen uh, out and about? No, actually, actually, we've not seen him for about a month. Now you mention it. He used to be about quite a lot. We haven't seen him at all recently, actually. Hmm. How, how long is it since things improved? Oh, it's been slowly, like, you know, three months ago, it was just murders all over the place and knife yeah. fights and you couldn't do it. You couldn't lift a crate without someone trying to rip it out of your hands. And hmm. over time, it's got better. And certainly the last sort of, I don't know, four or five weeks. The last month? Yeah, yeah, like, roughly speaking, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a question with the common people, isn't it? <laughs> no, all right, really. I was just going to say to Barold, we know where he lives. Let's go now and grab him by the beard. Have you got, like, an appointment somewhere or something? We keep him, because... <laughs> You see, they want to get this over and done with really, really quickly. Here comes that man. Well, I've got, I've got a sixth sense. <laughs> yeah, you don't feel like you're in imminent danger, but all oh, right, okay. Um, usually, when people kind of make a lot of money and and get into power a lot, they make a lot of enemies. Who is there anyone around who's not particularly keen on Mr. Faulkner von von Horgen? Um, I mean, Kruger won't be too happy. He was the he was the guy who used to run the thieves guild. That got that got ended pretty sharpish. So mm. he'll still be about somewhere with some of his cronies, biding his time to try and you know go back to the old ways. Yeah. Or if you want to avoid Kruger, like stay away from you know the rat catcher's place late at night. I, I imagine to be fair, they've all like slipped away to the shanty towns on the outside. 
Did anybody manage to successfully intuit? I, I got 48 and 44, so it's a simple test, isn't it? So, yeah. failed. Slight yeah. fail for both of you. Well, yeah, slight fail, yeah. Yeah, Barold and Aspeth, you've not, like, spotted anything. You clearly Spencer's not clicked over. But nevertheless, you're trained investigators. <laughs> and you have noticed that as you've been chatting to these stevedores, and it seems to be getting settled down for the night, and Magdalena's just bought a second round, there's one or two shifty types that have, like, nipped off out the door as if off to maybe tell someone or to do something. But, you know, they've left meals half finished and that sort of thing to go off for a wander. Being who you are and what you're used to, like that just seems a little bit dodgy. Right. Elspeth, elbow in the ribs. Give them give them a quick follow. Send up the signal if you're getting any trouble. Yeah. Rearrange one. Uh, scream loudly. <laughs> yeah. I'll uh, lump black my face and uh, go out into the night uh, following them. Do you want to make an opposed stealth roll for me? You've got, sorry, your skill's 13, roll 20, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So one level of success. Yeah. Okay, no problem. You slip out the door and uh, the windows now are those like big, thick, jam jar bottom kind of like 15 centimetre panels and they're all starting to like condense over. So you get that nice feeling of bonhomie inside the pub itself. But outside, there's a cold mist that's rolled in as the, the sun's gone down and the night's drawn in and uh, it's clanging around your, around your boots and a little chill to the air. But you can spy these two figures as they're hurrying off the heart of the stevedores area. And once or, tw- once or twice, they sort of like look back over the shoulder to see if he's following, and you hug the shadows, and they don't seem to spot you. So I'll, I'll still, I'll still down the street through the stevedores area, and I'll be uh, leaving pebbles and moving uh, drain barrels to leave a trail behind me. You ultimately find yourself outside a warehouse, of which there are many now, and now you're in the depths of this area. One of the doors, uh, like the, it's got the, the big double doors that you could get a cart through sort of thing. And within one of them, there's like the man-sized door that you can get through. And this pair that you've been following have slipped in there. And as you uh, press your ear to the, the warped wood, of which there's many gaps in, so it's quite easy to get a bit of a sense of what's going on inside, you can hear um, muffled voices at first, just like general, what are you two doing here? And all that kind of stuff. And a bit of banter going on between uh, regular folk. One of them sort of says, all right, well, fine, I'll go and get the boss then. And, um, right, pressing an eyeball to a, a knot in the wood, uh, you can see that it's lamp-lit beyond, although a little bit dark and gloomy. You see there's a, a big old sort. He's uh, one of those, it looks probably like an old Turkish wrestler or something, like, has obviously been strong all his life, but now put on quite a bit of, of whale lard as well. But you can tell he's just he's been used to lifting barrels constantly, so he's, he's probably still a bit fearsome if you got in a wrestle with him sort of thing. Uh, he's got long tashes, greased down with whale oil, a well, well-worn well face. And he comes down to these guys and they're going, no, no, don't worry, boss, this is this is a chance. One of Von Horgan's family's here. We could we could get her now. She's only got like an old fat guard and there's a, I don't know, there's another woman with her. And uh, who else? There's some old guy as well with a pipe. I mean, they're hardly like, we've got a couple of lads are keeping them busy now chatting. And uh, I reckon if we get a few of us together, we can get him. And this is our chance to get back at Von Horgan. Right, come on then. And you see there's probably about 10 men now starting to get manacles together, uh, sort of big clubs, blackjacks, uh, other stuff like that, heavy cloaks, a couple of sacks and things. And they start, look like they're getting ready to sort of like get out there and, and cause some mischief. Before I um, make haste to uh, warn my uh, companions, I'm going to try and bar the door to uh, slow them down a little. Uh, right, that's going to take another stealth roll then to make sure you do it without alerting any attention to yourself. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, I'll do that. Good luck. 
Oh, smashed him. Yeah. Have you rolled your other D10 as well? Is that... <laughs> <laughs> so eight. I've got eight. Yeah, you managed to slide one of the the rain barrels over quite happily and lodge it in front of the door. I'm going to sprint back to the uh, bar and warn people. Okay, so welcome back to the Groggy Awards for 2018. Uh, you've got your cracker there, haven't you? Are you, mm. you going to pull that one? Go on, then. Okay, here we go. There we go. Didn't bang. Have you got a joke? What's your, what's your joke there? Come. What do you get if you cast Vicious Mockery in a tavern? I don't know. What do you get if you cast Vicious Mockery in a tavern? You get bad. You get bad. You get bad. <laughs> a joke for all the 5th edition D&D players. Yeah. You probably don't listen to this podcast. Because <laughs> they're too young. <laughs> okay, so the next uh, award category in the spurious envelope is the Olive Kinsberg Players Playing and Games Played. Right, let me just clarify here, because mm-hmm. I, I, I know what you're going to say now. So what all this is, is... <laughs> you to clarify, please. Highlight from you playing. Highlight from me playing. Yeah. Okay. So the Olive Kingsburg, so that's an NPC that died sad, tragically last year. Yes. Uh, players playing and games played. So highlights of playing. Go on, you go first. Well, there's been a lot of playing, hasn't there? Because um, we went to Expo. And we, yeah, well, we should, you should say... You should say should before I? before you go on that, mm. your New Year's resolution last time to go to Expo. It was, and so, I, I achieved it. And achieved I, well, how did it go for you? It it went it went very well, with one exception. There was one game I played at Expo, which certainly would not be winning. Olive Kingsbury plays Kingsbury, playing, 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 playing games against no, players that were playing. No, um, yeah, I had them. Um, a game of World of Darkness. World of Darkness on my recommendation. On your recommendation. Now I have to, I have to be clear. There's nothing. There was nothing wrong with the game, and there was nothing wrong with the games master, um, and there was nothing wrong with the scenario. The only, the only problem is it's another talk early experience. Talk early. Talk early. Yeah. Uh, after after the game in the bar, I had to uncurl my toes. It took several hours from to uncurl. Yeah. Because what I found myself, I found myself in a situation where. A number of players, a majority of players around the table, uh, lapsed into what, for want of a better term, they should call the Amidrami school of RPG. The Amidrami. As in, they, they were being in character for the whole game. Yeah. Well, that was, I know, I know. That, that was my experience last year playing World of Darkness with uh, young, younger people, mm. is that they were in character, but... I kind of got carried along with that because they were, it was yeah. the setting and the archetypes. And although yeah. I didn't participate in the Amidrami, I have to say, it seemed to go, it seemed to go on. I didn't me. like it. You didn't like I it? I didn't like it. Because I think there, there is a, it, it was quite unusual because there is a, I think the phrase is a sweet spot, isn't there, with role playing games where, yes, when you play a role playing game, you are, you are playing a character. So you're not playing yourself. So you're playing a character and you should act. Uh, your character should act as the character, not as you. Yeah. That goes without saying. Uh, but there's also an element of discussion around the table outside of the character, isn't there, generally? Yeah. That's the common experience. And also there'll be a bit of dice rolling, a bit of game playing. So it's all those things converging to one point where it, it works really well. So I'm not disputing the fact that you shouldn't act in character. But I just found it a bit, bit much. 
know, so give us, just give a us bit an more. example. Give us an example. Well, there were there were just bits where <laughs> there were just bits where like there was one guy uh, who was a cameraman and he um, he he got some ghosts on the camera. <laughs> one of the other players sort of said to him, uh, "Oh, that's amazing! That must be. How did you fake that?" And he said, said, well, it wasn't fake. And she, she said, oh, well, well, no, it must be fake. And this went on for some time. And there was a point where I felt like saying, right, like, can, we, can we just establish now, for the, for the interest of the game, that this isn't fake footage, right? Yeah. You, know, do you know what I mean? There was yeah, another yeah. point where a character was running around going, oh, my God, oh, my God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Ghosts, there's ghosts. And what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Uh, and I, I felt like saying, you've got an occult skill there, quite a good occult skill. Why don't you roll that? Right, so... It was that kind of thing. It was almost as though what was, was odd about it was that by playing in character, they actually seemed to forget what was on the character sheet. Right. To some extent. So I, think it's just, I think it's just a style of play I wasn't, I wasn't particularly comfortable with. If people want to play role-playing games like that, that's fine. But I suppose it was, like a, it was like a clash of styles which left me feeling a bit discombobulated, really. You know, to the point where I think they asked me at the, the, the break, they did say to me, are you, you all right? <laughs> To right. which she said, oh yes, I'm really enjoying it. I did, I said something, I just, it was a bit of a lesson actually, in when you find yourself in a situation in a game that you're really not enjoying, maybe the best thing to do is for me to say, no offence, but this isn't for me. the way I'd play a role-playing yeah. game, I'm, I'm more, you know, I'm, I don't do it, it's turned into amateur theatre, I think that's the way, to me it descended into amateur, I say descended, and I mean descended, into amateur <laughs> theatre. Um, and I just didn't didn't really enjoy it. But I have to say, it was it is not it was not a reflection on the Gaze Master. The Gaze Master was great, uh, and the scenario was fine. It was just it was just a few players around the table, really went full on, ami drammy, and I I just didn't enjoy. It. I don't like that. But apart from that, Expo was great. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what were the other games you played at Expo? Uh, I played Thirteenth Edge. Which was good. That was on Sunday morning. That was a good Sunday morning game because that was like a bit of a dungeon bash, and that, that was kind of what you need on a Sunday morning, I think, at Expo. <laughs> and I played Hero Quest with Ian Cooper. And you were you were in that game, yeah. Um, and I'd probably say my nomination as a, as a player would be the Hero Quest game, which I did. I really, really enjoyed. You know, and that's interesting comparing that to the other game I've been talking about because. In Heroquest, we did act as characters, didn't we? We were playing yes. characters. So you were a haughty. I was a haughty sorceress, and you were you were a slave, weren't you? But we didn't. It didn't turn into amateur theatre. It was more character, as in storytelling, wasn't it? And I yeah. think that's the distinction. It felt in Ian's game that we were being told a story by Ian, and we were we had characters who were interacting with that story. So there was less. There wasn't much dice rolling, there wasn't much game playing, it was more about storytelling. But it wasn't amateur theatre. Yeah. As a player this year, I've had half an eye on being a games master and learning from the yeah. games masters I've played with. Because uh, I've not played a great deal this year, but it has been more of a games master. And so when we've been to places, because we've been on a kind of uh, world tour of the Midlands, haven't we, this time? We have, we, yeah. yeah. We went to yeah. Warwick and we went to... Uh, Birmingham a couple of times uh, playing, but in those situations, I was I didn't really play an awful lot. I was no, you don't like games, So when I've been playing, I've been, I have been looking at how people do things. Obviously, I learn from you. That goes without saying. <laughs> oh yeah, 
<laughs> but for, for, from other people, so for example, we've been in Asaka Sos and games, we've played a couple of games with, uh, and his style is very, I, I want to use the phrase laid back. Yeah, it's very relaxed. Yes. Very relaxed, yes. yes. Yeah. Whereas I have a, a, a need to kind of accelerate mm. things yeah. and keep things yeah. punchy and pacey. Um, I, I enjoyed how, uh, I enjoy a soccer so it gives space, doesn't it? Yeah. And he asks yeah. questions yeah. and gives space for the players to answer. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I've enjoyed the Star Trek games because of that. I think they are, that relaxed way of doing things is, is a good good way to approach things. Yeah. Whereas I know what you mean, me and you are a bit more... Come on, get on, go on, yeah, go on. Get on with it. Go on. But I think that's, be- that's because our grounding in games mastering, and in a way this is what, what we need to break away from, our grounding in games mastering back in the day is running games for a few players, I mean two players, yeah. sometimes even one player. And when you play, I mean, when you, you sometimes back in there run a game for me and I would run a game for you, and sometimes there was Eddie there. And I think running a game for one player as a games master makes you feel incredibly responsible for entertaining this person. Yes. Yeah. Because there's no scope for discussion. It's you're just bouncing things back at them. Yeah. Whereas what you learn, we've learned in Star Trek, with those Star Trek games, is you can actually relax a bit and let players discuss things. Yeah. And I've, I've found that in the, the games of Numenera that I've run at conventions. What I've enjoyed is those moments where, as a games master, you can set up a situation, sit back and let players spend 20 yeah. minutes discussing something and see that they're actually enjoying that discussion. Yeah. Well, I think what Asaka saw does in those situations is he asks questions that prepare you for your spotlight time. Yes. So you can feel... So I'm the uh, ship's engineer, the Tellarite uh, engineer. And you can see when a point in the in, in the game is reaching a point where it's going to need an intervention mm. from the engineer. Yeah. And it slowly, it slowly builds questions in to get you ready and prepared for that. Because when the focus is on you, there's quite a lot to do, isn't there, in mm. yeah. Star Trek? So I picked that up from Asaka, so that question. I played uh, Price of Freedom with uh, Doc Carey. And what what was good about that is, it, because of the nature of the game, there's a lot of stuff. So part of it is, so it's a war game, isn't it? So mm. it's all about equipment and kit. And managing all that kind of stuff, I find daunting. Yeah, you know, In yeah. these old school games, yeah. it is daunting. And I do tend to say, oh, it's a small gun, a medium size yeah. gun. Well, I, I have to, I'm the same. I find that I find all a bit tedious. <laughs> but the way, the way that um, the game was packaged is that there were, get, there were cards. Mm. So all the equipment was on cards. So when you were deploying, um, when you were deploying an item, you had a card to refer to. And yes. It, yeah. And you a got a way, sense yeah. of where, where it is and you could pick things up along the way. So, yeah. Part of it is, you know, obviously, you're moving through occupied America. Yes, yeah. Finding stuff that you can use mm. in your resistance movement. And it's good to pick up uh, pick up those cards. But I think uh, the the person I've learned the most from uh, is having those couple of sessions with uh, Gaz. And he does... It, Gaz from the Smart Party. He doesn't do things that are particularly different from what we do in terms mm. of technique. A sense of assertiveness about his approach. Yeah. 
that ups everybody's game. Yeah, yeah. Do you understand what I mean? I do understand what you mean, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I've enjoyed the two, two games of Warhammer that we've played with him. Um, but you definitely feel that, you know, get get involved. There's a sense of somehow there's a, an air of get involved. Yeah. You know. it's, not, it's not explicitly stated, but it's no. tacit though, isn't mm. it? That, you know, you're at the table, you, you're, you're going to participate in this yeah. and you're going to take part in it and you better pay attention because nobody's going to, you know... <laughs> yeah. You, if you get left behind, you're going to get left behind. You've got competition there for that megalomaniac award, <laughs> I think. <laughs> but I, I think that's something that I've taken away of, of um, taking a, a subtle command of the table. Mm. And I think that that's a good skill to have, isn't it? You know, particularly when you're running things at conventions, because we've done a lot of that this year, haven't we? And yeah. That's a different experience because you're often sitting down with strangers who you don't know, who may be a bit shy, and and a, a range of ages as well, from from young, you know, 14, 15, 16 year old playing, and then someone much older. Um, so it's good to have that kind of command of things and be able to bring people in to a game and make them, you know. And I think that's the thing with, as you say, with Gaz. It's not, it sounds a bit intimidating, but it's not intimidating. I think it's just about involving people and getting people to become involved. And setting expectations as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mind you, we say it's tacit and subtle, but he did call you a metagaming bastard. He did, he called me a metagaming bastard. I suspect those people playing World of Darkness might call me a metagaming bastard as well, because I wasn't prepared <laughs> to be in character all the time. So there you go. It's probably my fault. <laughs> so let's uh, open the envelope and see uh, what, what wins. Oh, and it's uh, Hero Quest. Ian Cooper's game. A deserved winner. A deserved winner. And it just so happens that he's going to appear in the next is episode. Hey, hey, well done. That's actually fortuitous, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, next up is the Sharon Osborne Award for <laughs> It Looks New, but it is, in fact, very old. Okay. So it's older than you think. Yeah. So what have you got on this? Uh, well, this my, my nominee for that is a Deluxe Tunnels and Trolls. Yeah, which I've already referred to. We've had quite a bit of fun playing that this year, um, and it's a good, it's a good book because, really, the ru- the rules inside it's tunnels and trolls. There's nothing new about the rules, really. I think there's one or two tweaks, but even even the tweaks, I think, are just things from previous editions. So I don't think there's anything new in there. What's uh, new, I suppose, is the inclusion of Troll World. So Ken St. Andrew's homebrew world that his games are Tunnels and Trolls. So and it's the world of all the solo adventures like Kazam and you know all that kind of stuff, Arena of Kazam and all the other stuff. Um, but what makes it breathes fresh air into or life into it, I think, is is the inclusion of Troll World because when you read Troll World, the game system makes more sense or becomes more appealing. Because Troll World has this quirkiness to it and the sense of humour to it. Yeah. That when, you know, we've discussed before, we always had that problem with Tunnels and Trolls, that the spell names are a bit daft and there's a sort of gonzo sense of humour to it that we, when we were younger we never quite appreciated. But when you add Troll World in there, you think, well, I, no, I, I see how this works now. I, somehow it, it gives a sort of vitality to it and it makes sense. The, two, the system and the world meld together and you think yeah in this world 
it is okay to have a spell called Take That You Fiend. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> they would. I think they might call it that in this world. You know, yeah. when, you, when you read about places like Kahora, which is a city of skeleton men. So it's like animated skeletons that have got their own, their own little city. That kind of thing's a bit, it's a bit wacky, a bit funny, but it does work. Yes. And I've, I've, enjoy, I've enjoyed that. I've enjoyed coming back to that. And I've enjoyed uh, playing, we've been playing it with Eddie at the table, haven't mm. we? And uh, Eddie has been uh, the wolfman, who is uh, a gladiator. And I've been his sidekick, leprechaun, Larceny. Larceny the leprechaun, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, our shtick on the, uh, at the arena of Kazan was that he was the wolfman mm. and I was dressed as a cat in the yeah, leather. The like, leprechaun. The leprechaun. The leprechaun. Wolfman and leprechaun. The leprechaun, <laughs> Any other game we wouldn't have uh, no, no, that, done that. That's it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Any other game you wouldn't you wouldn't have thought like that, but TNT in Troll World. Because I think that, that was the thing when we were younger. We would we would play Tunnels and Trolls and we would try and fit Tunnels and Trolls into uh, a Tolkien esque or a more cocky and kind of fantasy world, sword and sorcery world, and it never quite felt quite right. But when you play it in Troll World you think, oh yeah, I, I get it now. I get yeah. it now, Ken. It's yeah. okay. It makes yeah. perfect sense. Or I'll, you think that's kind of why we got into these games. Getting out a dingling every so often. Getting get out a dingling spell, yeah. <laughs> Am I older than you think? I mean, this is the year of the revivals, isn't it? Of these mm. old, you know, the, they've been they've been uh, put out there for a, a while. They've been well trailed, but RuneQuest Grantha. Uh, it's come out this year, and of course, uh, Warhammer Fourth Edition has come out, come out this year. And I played quite a bit of uh, RuneQuest Galantha now, but it's been the quick start, and I played the quick start a lot of times this mm. year. This year. Yeah. And if you ask me, do you know? Do you know it? Ask it. Ask me the question. Do you know it? I don't know it. I don't know it. The answer to that question, that you put, you don't. Thanks, thanks for asking it. It's a it's good okay question. Anytime. I don't. I don't really know it because I don't think you know. Picking up what we were saying earlier, I don't think I'm playing a quick start. Really gives you a chance to get into it. Yeah, yeah. And I tentatively nominate uh, RuneQuest Galantha because I've been waiting for it for so long. Mm. But I don't know whether it's such a strong thing because it doesn't feel a strong part of my gaming life yet. I think I need to get into it. Yeah, I think, yeah. you know, I've got these plans to uh, run some more demo games, but also to do a campaign in some county next year. And I think you're right. The thing with RuneQuest Galantha is it demands, really, that you play it and play quite a bit of it to yeah. get under the skin of it. And I feel the same way about uh, Warhammer. So Warhammer, we've had mm. a couple of sessions, yeah. but they're not, those sessions have not been able to contain... The setting, so we've had, had to continue it. It was intended to be yeah, a yeah, one shot, yeah, yeah, yeah. but we got into the characters so much and got into the situation so much, and some of the NPCs yeah. and the uh, rivalries that we've got with, yeah, them, yeah. that it feels yeah. like we have to stay in it. Although I do, I do think if you see Warhammer Fourth Edition Warhammer, I, I've really, really enjoyed, and despite what I said in the last podcast about too much stuff, I have bought the rules. Um, but I suppose for us, personally, it doesn't qualify for this award because we didn't really play it back in the day. We didn't play it at all back in the day, no, did no. we? So it feels, it, to us, it feel, just feels new. Yeah. Warhammer 4th, it just, just feels like a new game. 
So the uh, winner of the Sharon Osbourne Award mm-hmm. is Deluxe TNT. Another deserved winner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next one is the critical hit on the encounter table. So you talked about Expo. Yes. Well, talked about Expo. <laughs> so you went to Elba. What, what did you do at Elba? What did you play? I played, I played some Fate Core, and the Games Master was good because he, he knew the rules well. And some of the more bemusing elements of fate, like things like boosts, you can get boosts in fate when you make certain rolls. And I'd, I'd never quite grasped those until playing uh, at Albert. And now I think, oh yeah, I, I got it. Fell into place. Is that our watchword, our phrase, isn't it? That, you know, you can't really judge a game until you've played it. And playing fate core, certain bits of it that bemused me reading the rules, fell yeah. into place, and I thought, yeah. that, that's good. It was, yeah. a good. it was a good convention. Almost as good as Grogmeet. Grogmeet, of course, mm. Grogmeet yeah. uh, in uh, November. And it was bigger than we've done before. Yeah. Do you know this? I know that, I, I think I have said this before, but this is the first time I've been out and about mm. that I've realised that people listen to this. Do they? <laughs> but... You know what I mean? So, so when I went last year to uh, Expo, yeah, I sat as a lonely figure in the in, in the bar, yeah, reeling at the price of the pints. Well, you were still reeling at them this year. <laughs> that, that's not changed. And I go over and make conversations. Yeah. So, oh yeah, we look at my t-shirt. Oh, Grog Nine Files. What's that? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I'd say, oh, it's a podcast. I don't really do podcasts. That's right. That's what they'd say. Did they sound like that? Yeah. All I don't them. really do podcasts. They'd say. They'd drift off. Yeah, drift off. Leaving you lonely yeah. with your overpriced pint. Yeah. The sad figure you must have cut. <laughs> but this time, <laughs> I couldn't even go for a pee. But no, some So everybody wanted to... And yeah. And I sp- we couldn't... Well, we were nearly late for games because people get stopping us. Yes. We're at the trade hall. People get stopping. Yeah, and it was great, weren't it, yeah. to think. And people... And yeah. it's the first time I felt like the uh, group of people listening is like a sense of community mm. about it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No more so, I think, than virtual grog meet. So this yes. is where we did the online, yeah. first time we'd done yeah. it online. And uh, we did it online uh, using Roll20 uh, weekend in, in April. And the best thing about that was that it got people playing online who'd never played before. Yes, yeah. People who were just trying out, can I do this on my phone? Can I oh. connect? I don't have good Wi-Fi. I'm going to try it out on a cellular. You know, people from all over the world. Yeah, so yeah, that's right. Yeah, they were all over the world. It was an international event. International event. It was, yeah. it, was, it was great. But as I said, the most rewarding thing about it is that sense that following that, people went on to set up their own online yeah. groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good thing, isn't it, that? It is a good yeah. thing. So the winner this year of the critical hit on the encounter table, mm-hmm. Virtual Grown Me. Another deserved winner. Another deserved We'll pass it on. I, I don't disagree. With a megalomaniac. Hard to disagree, <laughs> isn't it? We're going to take a break now and listen to some more actual play of uh, Warhammer. I, I sound like a continuity now. You do, don't you? BBC, you're a dicky wall. <laughs> Would there be a chance that... Um, that Elspeth would come running back into us. There's enough time elapsed that we would be trailing her. We'd meet in the streets, like rounding a corner or something. 
going to have a look at our old DC Elspeth's coming like hell for leather. That's the one. So down that street opposite you, coming hell for leather, covered in, in lamp black and stuff, but quite easy to hear, if not see, his, <laughs> uh, his Elspeth at full tilt coming towards you. Right. That's the prearranged signal because she's being trailed by 10 stevedores with a grudge. <laughs> the, the imbecilic nobles made herself a target. <laughs> she must take cover. Curse you, Van Horgan. You're always getting us into this trouble. <laughs> See, you've made your excuses to get a bit of air, and the lads have seen happy to let you go outside just yeah. to, just for the minute. But you are like consciously aware that now behind you as well, there's probably best part of half a dozen stevedores at the pub as well. Right, um, arms, places, everyone. Let's do the show right here. So you're going to set up an ambush? Is that what we're saying? In seconds, I'll have worked out. The optimal placings for its tactic, and uh, I'm gonna push something over to make it even. Um, it looks innocuous right now, but we're really important in about three rounds' time. <laughs> Have you got a special power using, or is this just a lovely description? This is all ambition, really, mate. Of course, I've got nothing. <laughs> I can't remember what talents you got. I didn't know they were cool. One, I've, got, um, I've got alley cat, so whenever I'm using stealth urban. I can reverse the dice so any failed test if it would succeed. So as soon as you're doing the setup and directing people, I'll let you make your stealth roll then to yeah. see if you almost to like get yourselves in position for a surprise it's, round. That's the idea, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've still got to roll the dice though, so this could all go, you know, still gotta back it up. So score of forty two, eighty one. So I'll take an eighteen, please. Cool, no problem. So you set up, um, like you try and set it up like a little bit of a funnel as well to get people down. So only a few people come down at a tire and all that kind of stuff. Get your nooks and crannies, bits of cover, and all settle yourselves in. And then not long after, you've set up uh, a bunch of beefy guys have started filtering the way through the alleyway towards you. So mm-hmm. are you going to like all leap out on the first one, or catch them unawares in the middle, or what's the plan? How many are there of these guys? There's ten. How, how expendable do you think the noble is? We could hand her over. That's true. <laughs> it could be a simple thing. Sword. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a, a bait and trap situation. Do we need to fight these guys or do we just need to avoid them? There's certainly something odd about the fact that Volker's not been seen ever since things started going well for him yeah which suggests perhaps he's not behind it but there's also a um uh, a potential for us to ally with these people because uh they want to they want to get hold of him don't they much like we do but i think when uh, squaring up to him in an alley against 10 stevedores there's only four of us and despite our puissant skill i suspect we would get absolutely battered <laughs> thrown in the river maybe we avoid them and then try and contact this Kruger character. Kruger was the head of the Thieves' Guild that uh, has gone missing. Well, the guy who sent these characters is... Vilrin uh, Stark. Vilrin. Maybe we contact Vilrin. Yeah, that's not a bad plan. Tomorrow. Well, notably, as you see them all piling up, uh, Elspeth, you notice that Vilrin's uh, not amongst them, uh, and it does look like most of the guys that were in the warehouse when you were there last. So go to the warehouse and... Tackle Yeah, exactly. That's a better plan, isn't it? We can break into the warehouse while they're all out looking for us. So, so, so to begin with, what I'll do is I'll flash uh, Madeline the Noble in front of them and then do a double back so that uh, she's hidden. And then I will uh, seemingly run off with her under my cloak uh, so they can chase me. Nice. Uh, it, it sounds good. I want to know if you've got dice to back that up, though. That's the thing. <laughs> That's the thing. It's a... So cool. I think I, it's I, stealth I, again because you, you're trying to deceive them that you've got some, like you've got some other person in your cloak. And I, I think it's more savvy. 
I'm using my savvy nature. Right, but I am naturally savvy. Yeah, well, you get plus 20 because they're surprised because they weren't expecting it. You get a plus 20 to your skill for this. Four. That's how it's done. Are you sure you're only dealing So picking up a small barrel uh, in the shape of Magdalena's head, <laughs> or not dissimilar. Um, yeah, you stick that under your cloak and start lagging it on the corner. And uh, these brutish but not necessarily very intelligent stevedores immediately yell out, there she is, get her! And uh, all compounding down the street, including the big fat one at the end who's heaving and wheezing, causing big long breath to come out in the mist. <laughs> I'm coming! Shouts for Lazy John at the back. But this uh, <laughs> 10 guys knocking barrels over and tripping over each other come stumbling after you. So uh, you think you'll be able to keep ahead of them, but like, don't trip up, otherwise it'll be uh, a bad night yeah. for you. That's all I can say. <laughs> so you start rushing off. The rest of you head in the opposite direction, yeah. following the chalk marks and moved rain barrels and little pebble cairns that have been left for you, uh, and find yourself before this... Uh, warehouse, and while most of them are dark, this one's got a little bit of lamplight leaking out from the gaps and the planks, which leads you to believe you're at the right place. That and the fallen rain barrel directly outside. <laughs> Elspeth, it's all about the barrels. Yeah. <laughs> you're just barreling. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you burst in, the three of you, and you see uh, Vilrin Stark, he's sat by a, a, a fire in a, like an old oil barrel type thing, or a metal brazier probably, more likely. Bits of fish and a mesh on top, happily roasting and popping away with blackened skin. He's mm. got a couple of his steamers always with him. He's not left himself completely undefended, as you'd expect. But they do look up with mild surprise that it's you three that, that barrel through the door rather than his men come back with a prize. And he shoves his big, greasy, matted hat back from his hair to have a good look at you. I'll try and get my sword out and try and get it pointed at him or as close as I can to him with his pot belly. So the scene they imagine is the fire's kind of in between you at the minute. Yeah. They've knocked the tea chest over and got to the feet and put hands on weapons as you flashed out a blade across the flames, mm -hmm. uh, licking it towards his belly. And he's uh, he's looking at you steely-eyed and uh, appraisingly. Oh, I see. So Von Hogan sent one of his assassins at last. I wonder when he finished the job. <laughs> Far from it. I think me and you uh, need a conversation about uh, shared aims. Welcome back. I've got Eddie's cracker here. Eddie's cracker. Okay. Okay. Okay, I've got, <laughs> got a joke, all right. Go on. What's the most useless holiday? I don't know. What is the most useless holiday? D12 days of Christmas. D12 days of Christmas. D12. D12 days of, D12 oh, days of Christmas. It's rubbish. Oh. Right, okay. Moving on. So the next uh, thing on the Spirits Envelope, new kid on the top, mm. the tabletop, the new game that I've been playing, uh, I've got, so we're introducing to our repertoire. Well, for me, um, and we're not, I've not played it yet, but it's... Doesn't uh, count. Doesn't count. Doesn't count. <laughs> I've not played it. Play is the thing. It is the thing. We're going to play it. I'm going to make you play it. <laughs> I've, I've acquired Acton Cthulhu. Acton Cthulhu. Acton Cthulhu. Because for, for, for a number of reasons. One is I've, I've really enjoyed our games of Pulp Cthulhu. Yeah. So I've enjoyed Pulp Cthulhu um, a lot uh, over, the, over the last uh, 12 months. Because um, for me, Pulp Cthulhu fixes a lot of the problems with Cthulhu. So I like the fact you have a bit more agency. You're not completely, although there's a lot of jeopardy, you're not completely doomed. Um, and somehow Cthulhu in a pulpy setting seems to work for me. It doesn't matter if you bump into a Mygor. 
you know, down the down the sewers in a pulp setting. But somehow in, in normal Cthulhu, I always seemed a bit daft, but maybe that's just me. Um, I've enjoyed that. But also, I've, I've always wanted to play Fate. I yeah. like Fate. I like the system. I've always wanted to explore it a bit more. But one of the problems I've got with Fate is that some of the settings that they do are a bit... They're not, they're not really my cup of tea. They're all a bit off-beam and quirky, aren't they? You know, so you look at the fate worlds and it's things like playing... There's one I saw, playing detectives in ancient Rome. That sounds good. Well, it, it sounds good as a one-shot, but you get a bit... I think you get a bit fed up of it. It's a bit limited, isn't it? I've got a setting, Kaiju uh, Incorporated. Mm. So you, 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 you clean up squad yeah, after yeah. a monster's taken over yeah. the city. So you, you can have a good trade in uh, Godzilla handbags. Seriously, you can... <laughs> Well, that's not that's not too bad, but generally speaking, the fate settings have never really inspired me. But the game system, I do like a lot, um, and I didn't know until very recently that there's an act. Because I've also thought that act on Cthulhu's always sounded good. The idea of you know Nazis and Cthulhu, um, and the Second World War is it's a great setting for Cthulhu, um, and I didn't realise until very recently there was a fate version of that. So I've acquired the fate version of Act on Cthulhu. And I like it a lot, and hopefully next year I'll be running a bit of that. Oh, that's cool. You know, so it manages to, to, to fulfil a lot of things. It's pulpy, so it's a bit like Pulp Cthulhu, so it's a pulpy kind of setting. Uh, but it also allows me to use Fate and play around with the system that yeah. has intrigued me for a while, but I've never really had the chance to find a fit for it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I've never found anywhere that I can sort of fit, fit it into, but it's a, it's a really good... Um, Supplement. It's a good supplement. Lot, lots of detail in it. Um, and I think Fate works. The Cthulhu mythos works well with Fate as well. There's a, there's a, it, I mean, I, well, you, you'll find out when we play it, but I think the monsters and the magic work really well in Fate. More, it's more dramatic than in basic role-playing. You know, it's more about things working and having an effect on you and this, that and the other. So I do. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'll, I'm looking forward hmm. to that. Well, similarly, I've been uh, looking at a generic system. And this is probably the closest thing that I've come to hacking a game since mm -hmm. we've got back into playing. Yeah. And it's partly inspired by our good friend um, at Daily Dwarf. Yeah. Um, so I've been looking at Savage Worlds, and in particular Savage Worlds for Strontium Dog. So using the Mongoose supplement that they produce for Traveller and trying to adapt it for uh, Savage Worlds. Um, earlier in the year, I did a lot of uh, Judge Dread, so playing the uh, scenario that Daily Dwarf did for uh, the Grogzine last time. And he he wrote another scenario, American uh, Werebear in Brinsit. Mm, yep. Very good, yep. but using Savage Rules, because yes, as yep. we discovered in our podcast about Judge Dread, the rules are a bit cranky, aren't they? A bit, yeah. they? They don't really work. But Savage is good because it does have that pulpy feel that you're talking about with uh, mm. uh, Fate. And it does allow you to play around with things. So what I've been doing is rolling on the mutations table and adapting them into edges and hindrances for yeah. the strontium dogs. So yeah, my, my suggestion is uh, Savage Worlds. Mm. Fast and Furious, yeah. so hopefully come back. Yeah, and Savage Worlds, we've, I mean, again, that's another game we've We've done so much this year. It's difficult, isn't it? You know, it's difficult to sort of remember everything that we've done. 
it's been such a packed year of, of gaming this year because we've played yeah. Savage. That's the, it's the first time we've played Savage Worlds this year, yeah. well, isn't it? And that's it's been a good. That's a it's good, good isn't it? It's good. It's good because it's, it's like fast and furious. Mm, isn't it is. It? Yeah. 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 It's a good system. Yeah. Okay, and the winner of that is well, Savage Worlds because we have played it. That's true. Yeah. Okay. That's true. I'll give you that. What we've been doing, people might not realise, a thematic in our programming, don't we? Every year we try and choose a theme to explore. Yes. Yeah. And this year we've been looking at those games workshop yeah. games yeah. from a particular era. Yes. So 87, 88. Yeah. So uh, things that were published around that time. What I found is that playing those games has weirdly surfaced up memories of why we stopped playing yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so like yeah. 30 years ago yeah. trapped in those games were some of the things so <laughs> it's things in Golden Heroes mm. things in yeah. Judge Dread things that are still latent in those things have been coming up and we've had a moment we had a moment didn't we when Eddie turned around to us and said yes we're doing too much we're doing too many different games yeah Mm. Get back to what we know. Yeah, yeah. He definitely wanted to get back to familiar games that you know, and I think familiar games and a familiar style of play. Yes, because that's as I said, that's been a theme this year. Different styles of play. So the World of Darkness style of play, which I didn't. It it really jarred with me. It really made me feel awkward, a bit uncomfortable. You know. Um, Denny and Cooper's style of play with, with Hero Quest was, was different as well. Yeah. Like a storytelling style of, of play, wasn't it? Um, so that's been a theme this year, I suppose. And as you say, Eddie, Eddie said to us, didn't he, that he wanted to. Uh, well, he described it as losing his RPG mojo, didn't he? Yeah. But when we, when we, uh, we love bombed him by bringing beer and crisps to his house, yeah. he uh, said it wasn't quite that. It was more that he wanted to get back to. The basics of role playing, like f- the familiar games from the past and familiar styles of play. Yeah. And that's what triggered the Tunnels and Trolls session, wasn't it? Where yeah. I said, right, well, I'll tell you what, let's play Tunnels and Trolls and we'll do something fairly straightforward. And we enjoyed that a lot. And there is, what he realizes, there is room for that in your gaming life, I think, isn't there? Yeah. That, that you, it's good to play high concept games and it's good to play different styles of gaming and it you know like you said with Blades in the Dark it's great to play a game where you think wow 12 hours and not one combat and yet it's been exciting there's room for all that stuff yeah but you shouldn't lose sight of what brought you to the hobby exactly and I think that's the, the lesson of this year don't lose sight of what's brought you to the hobby yeah and I think we've Refer to it as the Eddie Corrective. The Eddie Corrective, yeah. Because just remind us to keep our feet on the ground, not get overexcited about it. <laughs> yes. New yeah. stuff. Yeah. And just remember yeah, to yeah. enjoy it. Remember to enjoy it and, and remember that the thing that brought you to role playing was a desire to kind of play action and adventure games in a fantastical setting. Yeah. You know. And whilst in a way you're always doing that, sometimes you can lose sight of it. You can yeah. lose sight of it and think, you know, well, I don't know, this, is, this, this game's turned, it's like work or <laughs> something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, um, that's the Eddie Corrective. So what's your uh, resolutions for the new year? What, you, what have you got planned? 
So you mentioned Acton Cthulhu. Yeah, I run, run some Acton Cthulhu, um, and we're also pl- I'm planning on running Dragon Heist for our Wednesday night group. Oh, brilliant! Yeah. Uh, buying the Roll Twenty package, uh, which I'm looking forward to. Because I did, uh, you're right. I did, I did get a bit of GMitis after we'd finished Storm Kings. Running running a campaign for eighteen months every other Wednesday, you get into to say you get into that rhythm of it, yeah. and I miss I miss it in a way. I miss it. Yeah. And it's it's nice when you're running a long campaign to have a ready-built package on Roll20 because yeah. the ups and downs of life sometimes get in the way of preparing something when it's ongoing every other week. Yeah. And it's good to have something there that you can fall back on, I suppose. You know yeah. you know it's there. Yeah. That was a good thing about Storm Kings. It was, there was always something there to run. So some weeks I could prep quite a lot uh, and look at the plot and turn it in the direction I wanted to and other times I didn't have because of work or something else I didn't have time to do that but I knew it was always there Yeah, it was always there ready and going, and going back to the edit corrective and yeah. uh, what excites people we, you know, we have been playing other games in that Wednesday night group Yeah, you suggested uh, going back to D&D and everybody got excited everyone, again. Got, <laughs> everyone got excited again <laughs> <laughs> it's all snatched my hand off and you think oh there you go it says something about it doesn't it so one of my resolutions uh, for the new year is to play more mm. and to get rid of some of my bad habits as a player and get better at playing mm. I'm so focused on when I'm going to be next games mastering and just looking you know learning from other games masters that sometimes I forget to play yes yeah you know, yeah. that's forget it. to kind of involve yourself in playing yeah yeah, mm. and I've developed by playing a lot online I've developed some bad habits mm. uh, multitasking whilst I'm playing too many distractions whilst you're playing yes yeah so yeah I think that's true if, if you do a lot of games mastering you get into a mentality that when I'm, a, when I'm games mastering I need to be prepared I need to entertain these people I need to cover all bases. But when I'm playing, that seems like the easier option. Yes. And therefore, I can be more relaxed. But the danger is... And, and that's what we've learned from playing with Gaz, isn't it? That expectation that you'll get involved. Yeah. You know, you don't multitask when you're playing those. No. They call you a multitasking bastard. <laughs> Which is even worse than a metagaming bastard. Well, I don't know. As a point of order, he, he said that to me, but I think all I said was... Who's got the best persuasion skill? That was all I said. I didn't. I wasn't meta gaming. I, 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 well, I was, but you know what I mean. It was a lapse, right? So that's it for another year. We've got another exciting year ahead of us. So uh, thanks a lot, Blythe. All right. I'll see you next year. Thanks to all the contributors who've made the Grog Pod special this year. I've really enjoyed putting it together each month. Make sure you subscribe to What Would The Smart Party Do to find out what happens next in the Wolfrup scenario, as as soon as it's edited together, it will be released on the feed. At this time of the year, I usually like to give some recommendations of other podcasts that I've been listening to. These are on top of my usual fare of uh, the Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, Good Friends of Jackson Elias, Save for Half, The Release Podcast and The Cthulhu Breakfast Club. But there are some new ones. No, I'm not that keen on listening to actual players myself, uh, but I do have some exceptions. 
I'm currently enjoying Scott Dawood from the Good Friends of Jackson Elias acting as the keeper for How We Roll podcast in their run-through of The Two-Headed Serpent. I also really enjoy a really good, fun actual play, The Champions, using the Hero System RPG. It's very grounded and entertaining actual play podcast that also enjoys Hobnobs. A new one to check out that's been released this year is the Vintage RPG podcast. A short show which includes board games, but don't let that put you off, as well as uh, RPGs from the past. Next in the Grog Pod, over 2019, we'll be turning our attention to some of the media that inspired our gaming. TV programmes such as Robin of Sherwood, and films such as Krull, and novels such as Leoness by Jack Vance. Appendix N is a podcast that looks in detail at the recommendations of novels by Gary Gygax in the D&D Rules. It's great stuff. This month I'll be working hard to get the zine completed, which will be released at the end of January and early February to patrons. Thanks to all the generous tips that we've received this year, it's really helped us to cover the cost and inspire new projects. We really appreciate it. Thanks too to those who joined in November and December of 2018. I'll be giving some individual shouts out next time and rolling on a Gloranthan table of plunder. In the next episode, we're talking Hero Quest with Chaosium's Ian Cooper, recorded live-ish from Grogmeet 2018. Another month passes and another passing of a legend proving that many great things come from Bolton. Adios, Pete. Adios, amigos.